0: All right, well, let's jump in. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Sarah's dead, so, you know. Um, he's about 100 and, I don't know, but he's over 140. So, just kidding. Encore. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. So Abraham's raising little kids at 140. I know. You know, just, when, just when, when people would think, Abraham, time to hang it up. Time to go live in a, in a retirement home or a monastery somewhere. God's like, no, no, you need to, to raise some more little children. And, um, and Jokshen fathered Sheba. Sound familiar? And Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashram, Letushim, and Leumen. Sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Henoch, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. So God doesn't send him off to a monastery. He doesn't put him in a retirement home. He gives him a young wife, and he spends his latest days um, raising little kids. It's probably for the best. Isaac's going to be raising little kids too in his 40s and 50s. And Abraham, you know, if he's got nothing to do, he's just going to get to meddling. So God keeps him busy. And, uh, I, you know, I just feel like I'm not going to apply this, but Abraham is raising little kids in his 100s. So you just apply that however you feel like it fits. But one thing that I think it applies to everyone is... Uh, no more complaining. (laughs) If he can do it at 140, we can all do it, right? In the desert, in a tent. All right, so suck it up. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, one thing though, one thing I wanted to point out is that one of these kids is named Sheba. Now, who can tell me the significance of that? Oh yeah, yeah! Remember that it's down in uh, down the Nile, and the Queen of Sheba. You'll remember she comes up the Nile into the Promised Land, bringing what gifts Gifts and gold for what purpose? To adorn the temple, to adorn the temple. She's a worshipper of God. She's a Christian. Not only her, but her household and tons of other people. She, she, along with, she wasn't traveling alone, caravans and and a train of people are coming north to the promised land to bless the temple, to adorn it with gold. Now, who can theologically interpret this? You got to theologically interpret it. Most commentaries you read aren't going to help you much on this one. Um, But Abraham, remember, he was promised to be a father of how many nations? Many nations, not just one big Jewish nation, but many nations. And he's also the father of the circumcision and the uncircumcision. That's right. Which many of the descendants of these people would include, including all of the people of Sheba. Now, I, I focus on Sheba because we know that story um, in, uh, with Solomon. But there's a similar story with every single one of these names. And if we were better Bible scholars, we'd be, we would know it. We would know the significance of Midian and Joction and Ephah. We would know the significance of all of these places and maybe have a few little stories to tell. But if you'll remember, what does the prophet say is the future of, uh, of the kingdom? It's that the nations from far, far and wide would bring what? Offerings and gold to the temple. And that's literally what happens. So you have to re- reconstruct the world when you get to this particular chapter in Genesis tw- 25. Remember, we're only going with what we know from Genesis already. Right? Try not to load things in. Now, of course, we're going to load things in. But if you were an original reader and you're reading this, you have to see that there is a new, um, a new sacred land, a new consecrated land. With a, with a new center to God's activity in the world. And there's these people at the center of it. They are called the, the circumcised, the seed people. And it's from their seed that the Messiah would come and be cut off, which is the sign of circumcision. And they all flow from what two people? Abraham and Sarah. But he has others. They are not the circumcision people. They are not people of the seed. It's not that they're not Christians. Not everyone that was a Christian was of the seed people. Remember when Jonah preached to Nineveh, Nineveh repented. They, all the Ninevites didn't have a giant circumcision festival. Um, they weren't Jews. You didn't have to necessarily be a Jew. Now, if you wanted to be of the seed people, wanted to marry one of the seed people, and be in the lineage of the coming Messiah, uh, that's fine, but you had to be circumcised. That was the one of the you had to do a lot of things like you you had to change your whole eating habits. You had to change your dressing habits, all sorts of things. But there was a special priestly people called the Jews, and they were to be the priests to the nations. They dressed a certain way. They had a special diet, all of these things symbolic of the gospel of their special chosen class. They had a special sign of being in the covenant people. They had the temple and they had the access This was true um, during this time period. It wasn't only true after the Mosaic Covenant later. It was true here. And the center of all of it would be Abraham. And then later, the center of all of it would be whom? Isaac. And then later, it would be Jacob. That's right. The time of the patriarchs. Not Ishmael. Not Esau. There was a special class of people who had the sign, and they were priests to the nations. And they believed in the gospel, they believed in the coming Messiah who would crush the head of the serpent, and they preached that gospel. And many people were Christians. It it wasn't just a small little group of people. God um, saved people back then too, all over the place. And the Queen of Sheba is a perfect illustration of this. So Abraham has these kids, he has them with Sarah, He has them with Keturah, and they go out all over the place. He's a father of many nations, and in due time, they come streaming back into the promised land, to the temple grounds, to the sacred land, bringing the gold and the silver. All of this then serves as a foreshadowing of the ultimate fulfillment of the gospel, right? With Jesus, who would build his temple, and all the nations would stream in, and bring in their treasures and their gifts and their golds to adorn his temple, which is not an earthly one, but in heaven, and is coming down over the course of human history. All right? So that's sort of the big picture here, and I just, I just made all of that up from the word Sheba. But, <laughs> but as you're going to see, it's, it's more and more obvious as we read, and I think that that is probably the best application that we can draw out from this particular portion here. All right, um, Jordan. Um, at least the an original crew, for sure. For sure, but you're going to see in a few seconds he sends them away. He sends them away. All right, verse 5 Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Now that's key. The inheritance goes to Isaac because he is the child of the seed, right? That's the chosen line. But to the sons of his concubines, those are women who don't have a, a mohar, a bride price, a special inheritance or insurance policy. Remember, how long did Jacob have to work for, his, for the money to give to Rachel? Seven, seven years, right? Um, and at the end of that story with Jacob and Laban, uh, Laban tricks him. He has to work another seven years. And then at the end, before he leaves the, this pagan land to come back to the promised land, Laban they you find out that Laban had actually squandered all of the 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 lady's money, and it was their money. He had, he gave you give a bride price to the wife. It's her insurance money, and uh, she uses that to produce capital for herself and for her her servants and for her. Uh, little mini kingdom, all in the name of her household. That's where the Proverbs 31 woman gets all of her money to work with. It's from that. And um, for Jacob, he had to work a long time to get that. And uh, that's also probably why Isaac is like 40 years old before he even is ready to to have a bride. You have to have this big insurance money. Um, But anyway, we talked about that a little bit last week. I don't want to go into that too much. But Isaac is given the inheritance... But to the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts. So he's, he's not, you know, he's not abandoning them. But he does, he, they don't get the full inheritance. They receive gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. All right. Theologically, we've been reading the book of Genesis. What does that mean? East. Yeah. The gate of the garden was east. They leave. They go east. Anything else? When Israel is cast out of the promised land, they go east to Babylon. That's right. Any others? Uh, When Lot leaves the promised land, he goes east. When Jacob goes to find his wife and, and becomes a slave to Laban, it's a little mini cast out. He's in slavery He's a bond slave for 14 years, and he does all that to pay the price for his bride, and then he returns to the promised land with her. These are all little mini gospel stories, if you know how to read it, all right? Um, There's a few others. Um, The the door of the ark, I believe, opened up east, and they went out east, and they built the Tower of Babel. Um, There's a theological significance to him sending them out east, but here's the thing, this doesn't say he sent them away east because they were bad people and because they're exiled. I, mean, I think there's two different ways to think about this. And when the, uh, when the church is finally exiled from the promised land to go out to the whole world, that's not an exile. What is that? That's dominion. That's taking the inheritance that is theirs. See, there's two ways to go east, to go out. One is as a excommunicated, but the other one is as a missionary. One is you are exiled. The other is you are going off in dominion to, to establish more lands for the kingdom. So you're in the Garden of Eden. You have the, the garden. It's the temple, and there's a temple lands all around the garden, which is Eden. But east of Eden flowed the rivers out, out into the wild. And so you would go out in dominion, <clears throat> You would mine the onyx and the bedellum. Remember that from Genesis 2, I think? And the gold, bringing that back into the sanctuary to adorn and to beautify the temple. You're going to see here in a second that the children of Ishmael says, go out to Havilah, which is the exact same place that's talked about when the Garden of Eden is talked about in Genesis 2. Because in Havilah, there's gold and onyx. It's, I think all of this is sort of theologically interpreted as a type and a shadow <coughs> of how we um, would go out to the ends of the earth and to bring back the riches and the inheritance and the gold and especially the converts back to the temple. Of course, the temple doesn't have a geographical center anymore. It's in heaven, the new heavens. And the new heavens is slowly coming down earth. We're making the earth like the heavens, the way Adam and Eve were supposed to make the world like the garden. Okay? Too much? Make sense? You don't have to understand this all the way. I don't understand it all the way. Just scratch the surface and enjoy it and and move on. That's basically what you do with this sort of stuff. All right, Jordan? Mm, Not that I can think of. Um, For whatever reason, God is God sent Paul uh, west, actually, not east. Um, and that has something to do probably in his wisdom with the fact that there was a Roman Empire, the Roman roads, and all the way west was England, which was basically the highway to the rest of the world because of their, their, their specific geographical location. I mean, if you go east, it's a long time before you get to Japan. Right, so I don't know who knows, the, but the mind of God, He sent Paul west, not east, which is why we are Christians in Western civilization, and Eastern civilization is just now starting to become Christian. That's just the way it, it moved. Um, that's <clears throat> anyway. Um, now there is a perverted, heretical version of going east in dominion, going out to take the gold and to bring it back, to beautify the temple, to adorn the palace of God. There is a humanistic, uh, man-centered perversion of that, that um, when Christendom, when the West abandoned Christ, they no longer, like the pilgrims, were going out to establish gospel foundations in the other world. They were going out to do what? Steal gold and bring it back. So um, when, the, when the West was expanding to the new world, you remember Columbus, right? Okay. So Columbus, they, they already had ideas that there was another continent out there. They didn't, well, they didn't know if it was a continent or just a bunch of islands, but they knew stuff was out there. And we know now there's evidence of Vikings having come to the new world, um, Irish having come to the new world. Um, there's even some that say the Phoenicians came to the new world. But they didn't have the theology or the reason to expand it. They didn't have a dominion theology. They didn't have a hopeful eschatology. They went and they got what they could and brought it back to their house. That's basically all they did. Um, but with Columbus and with a, a positive eschatology and a dominion theology and expanding the gospel to the ends of the earth, um, and you can read Columbus's own writings, he went for that very purpose to lay gospel foundations in the rest of the world. Same thing with the pilgrims. That's why they were willing to bleed and die, um, and they knew they would die, to lay uh, claim to these new lands. That's what we're called to do. all right. But on the the backs of these pilgrims, on the backs of these missionaries to take dominion for Christ and to extend his uh, rule over the ends of the earth are people who are uh, a secular twisting of that spirit, and we could call that the spirit of empire, right? Where you go to uh, to pillage and to plunder and to take gold and to bring it back, not to some temple, but actually to some governmental nation-state capital or temple, right? Which is exactly what happened with uh, those who were heretics. They went out in empire, and they, and they went looking for gold, and they brought that gold back to adorn their government buildings and to adorn their palaces and their estates. That's not Christian dominion or missionary service. That's empire, and that's an incredibly evil thing to do. We shouldn't be going to people groups Looking for how we can exploit them and pillage them, we should be looking for how we can uh, extend the claims of Christ and to teach them the beauties of the gospel and God's law. You see the difference. One is the gold is not going to be brought back to a, a nation state capital. It's going to be brought into the kingdom of heaven, whose capital is on earth. It's in. It's in, and the gold is not is now. It's almost like analogous, right? <laughs> it's not. You don't. It's not bringing literal gold back to our church property. So it is interesting, though, that churches have flags in their sanctuaries. It's like, the, it's like they're sanctuaries of the nation state. Interesting. I don't know. There's something there, though. Something bad. Um, <clears throat> so humanistic perversion of dominion, what we can call empire, turns the nation state into the temple. And um, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about dominion and gospel spreading, all right? So Sheba, she's literally returning with gold to the geographical center, but that's a type and shadow of the kingdom to come, as you well know, all right? Um, Moving on to verse seven. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, Notice who buried him. Isaac and Ishmael. Told y'all Ishmael's not such a bad dude. He's a Christian. He believes in the promised land. He believes in the seed of Abraham. All right. In the field of Ephron to the son of Zohar the Hittite that he had purchased and that he put Sarah in, if you'll remember. Because he believes what? In the promise of the land, of his inheritance. He believes in the gospel and he buries He has himself and all of his family buried there because he is awaiting the future resurrection when he will ultimately inherit that land. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. See the seed, the center of the, the kingdom is moving from Abraham to Isaac. He's the high priest now. Abraham's not the high priest anymore. Isaac is the high priest with all the little priests. And um, Isaac settled at Beer lahai Roy, which is where Hagar met the angel at the well. Um, moving on, verse 12. <clears throat> Am I, did I just skip some verses? Are we good? Verse 12. We've got a little bit to read here. So verse 12, these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, names in the order of their birth. I'm not going to read all of that. Let's skip down to verse 19. Y'all can read that later. Um, But Ishmael lived 137 years, for what it's worth. Um, Verse 19, skipping down, new tablet. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. All the women in Genesis are barren. Um, why is that Theologically interpret that for us because huh Yes, it does do that. She is a continuation of this theme because salvation does not come by man. The seed would be born only through a miraculous grace given gift of God. Salvation is of the Lord. Upon the Lord. You have to rely upon the Lord. So these women lived out in their lives literal gospel symbols, right? They were barren so that we would read this and be reminded that salvation is of the Lord, not by the will of man, nor the flesh of man, nor the strength of man, but by a miraculous new birth of God. Um, verse 21 but he knew that God was the one that gives children, and so he prayed for his wife to give children. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. Right? Anybody here ever had twins? It would be interesting to talk about that. Uh, Harold, you're a twin, but you and your brother get along. That's good. Darlene's a twin. They get along, too. Now, but is one of you the hairy one, like one's hairy and the other? No, you're both, you're literally, you're hair old. but uh, <laughs> there you go. Well, these two twins, they didn't get along. One was a, a hairy, beastly man. He was evil. He was a fornicator and he was profane, the book of Hebrews says. And the other one was godly and righteous, though most commentators mess this one up. What have you heard about Jacob? Jacob is a, he's a trickster. He's a liar. That's totally fabricated. That's nowhere in the Bible. I don't know why this is such a weird myth. There's even a movie called Jacob the Liar. It's like, his name means heel or heel grabber or twin brother tripper. Um, But, I mean, Esau's name loosely means hairy or something like that, furry. I don't think so, though. I'm watching. We're going to read the story. I'm going to tell you. I don't think he is. That's, like a, that's just kind of like a wives' tale or, or like a Sunday school lesson that everyone was into, like Jacob's a bad guy. I think they're, I think they're reading stuff into it. I did too, but as I looked into this, I'm like, wait a second. What about, I thought Jacob was a bad guy. I don't see it anywhere. Sneaky, tricky, but hey, but what about the, okay, so his, his father is blind, and he gives the blessing to Esau, even though God told him it's not Esau's, and even though Esau swore a covenant to give it to Jacob, oh, Isaac's a problem. He likes Esau because Esau gives food for his belly. We know what that means. We're going to get to it, okay? So what happens? Jacob doesn't trick Isaac, blind Isaac. The woman tricks him. Oh, come on. What's, what are we talking about here? Once again, we have, we have the woman deceiving the serpent so that the true seed gets the inheritance, not the fake seed. You see, look, we got to read this stuff theologically, okay? Rebecca's always getting a bad rap. Rebecca believes in the promises. She's a Christian. And Jacob, I'm going to show you, Jacob's a Christian too. The translators can't even bring themselves to put the actual word. They have to change it. The ESV has just been disappointing me a lot lately. I'm just, I'm just disappointed. I mean, they're super smart, but I don't, I don't know if that'll fix the problem or not. i just, <laughs> Geneva, oh yeah. All right. No, I'm just teasing. Let's see. Where are we at? Um, verse 22, the babies. They're struggling together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Which, when you translate that phrase, it's not that clear. It, it could just be like, what's going on here? Like, rah, there's a war inside my, my stomach. What's going on here? Like, what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So she went to inquire of the Lord. I mean, it must have been significant. Um, And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. Okay, so we have two nations. What are those two nations? Edom and Israel. Um. Edom, by the way, is cursed, and they are eventually completely eradicated. Um, I think they are completely eradicated when the Assyrians um, invade in the 700s, but I could be wrong about that. That's from my memory. Um, Unless you're a black Hebrew Israelite, then you believe all the white people in America are actually the Edomites, and your cursing is on its way, and they're going to be involved. Um, that's what black Hebrew Israelites believe. They believe themselves to be of Isaac, and white people in America are of, of Edom. And the struggle between whites and blacks in America is this struggle, two nations. Of course, that's absolutely satanic and absurd, but that's what that big uh, church right there on the interstate believes. Philadelphia Christian, they're not Christian, Philadelphia cult right there. That's what they believe. That's true. I, I use that every opportunity I can to point that out. Super racist, racist, cult, flat earth, satanic, uh, real estate lawyer, craziness. All right. So did I mention how I feel about that? (laughs) I I had a Bible study with him one time and I mentioned to him, I was like, you know, you, you know, we would like our church to be diverse, like the kingdom of God. You know, and he was like, "Eh, if it happens, he wasn't that interested in that. I was like, now I understand why, though. So, listen, watch his sermons on YouTube. They're crazy. They're legit crazy. Like, he preaches from, like, like pictures from, like, various magazines about how the Illuminati are secretly tricking people into the... He, he believes the Vatican is hiding the Ark from all the black people. But once the black people get the Ark of the Covenant, they're going to have the power. They're going to take over. And it's going to be bad for us. Jordan and I talked about this before. Jordan thought about doing that one time. The flat Earth, is like the flat earth thing is Lanyab. He's like, "This is so crazy. Let's just do that too." Because you don't have to be a black, uh, you don't have to be a flat earther to be a black Hebrew Israelite. Yeah, they they believe NASA's lying to people. Anyway, um, that's the Kyrie Irving religion, basically. All right. Anyway, we're getting off track here. Um, Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. Who's the stronger? Children of the seed. No room for a negative eschatology here. No, sir. No, sir. We, the church, will be stronger than the world. Prophecy from the Lord. And if you believe the opposite, you lack faith in this particular promise, and you should repent of that. Here it says right here, the, the younger, those of Isaac, which we learn later are those of faith, which is the church, shall be stronger than the other ones. That's right. It's not talking about after the end of human history when the other ones are in the lake of fire. It's talking about when being stronger still matters. <clears throat> The older shall serve the younger. Amen. He restates it in a different way. There will be a different hierarchy. We will be above them in the hierarchy, which is, of course, what black Hebrew Israelites believe, that when the kingdom comes, because they're premillennial, when the kingdom comes, whites will, if they're allowed to be in the kingdom, the extreme black Hebrew Israelites believe all whites will be in America. Not all whites, American whites will be executed and the women will become slaves. Um, that's the hardcore ones that wear the purple pants and the swords. Um, but the moderate ones like Omar believe you can still be in the kingdom. You'll just be slaves. So you won't, it won't be a bloodbath. Totally. All white people will be enslaved. Uh, well, tell them that they believe that it literally is the skin. They believe that they are the Jews and we are the Edomites. Yeah. They are particularly, African Americans in America are actually of the tribe of Judah. The royal tribe, the kingly tribe, the Indians get a tribe, the Seminoles are a different tribe, the Caribbean black people are a different tribe. There's different tribes, but the American blacks are uh, the tribe of Judah. It's insane. What are the Mormons? I don't know what the Mormons are. Well, so they're I guess they're a lot like the Mormons just <laughs> they're going to they're fighting with the Mormons so anyway it's it cults you know i don't it's cults are it's just really sad that um that this man who's clearly smart and and gifted administratively. And gifted in mobilizing and tricking people. It's just really terrible how many, uh, innocent, not innocent, but just ignorant people he is under his sway. It's really sad at the end of the day. Um, <clears throat> but, we you know, we have people in our church that come from that. They came out of that because they heard our podcast. And they were like, and so they came to our church. They knew that he was going crazy. Uh, if you're, his name is Michael, if you ever get a chance to talk to him. He sits kind of in the back right, um, Big big guy. Um, not Michael Cheney. He's a big guy, too. Michael Handley. Handley. There you go. Um, verse uh, 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. Uh, so they called his name Esau, which loosely means hairy. Um. Perhaps some commentators believe that the pointing out the hairy thing is to show that he's beastly. He's like an animal. Yeah. Afterward, his brother came out as smooth as a baby's bottom. No, I don't know. (laughs) Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, which means heel. Heel grabber. It's kind of hard to know exactly what it means. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. All right? So, bear and wife, has twins, two nations, covenant promises come through, miracle, as always. All right? Um, moving on, verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter. Who so far in the book of Genesis is a skillful hunter? Jared, Nimrod, that's right. So probably this is kind of like... He's arrogant, he's proud, he's he's boastful, he's defiant of God. It's not wrong to be a hunter. But so far in the book of Genesis, you know, the only other guy like this is Nimrod, a man of the field. Now notice this, while Jacob was a quiet man, mm, ESV, shame, shame, shame. The word there that they translate quiet is the same exact word that when referring to Noah it's translated righteous. And when referring to Job, it's translated righteous. They just can't bring themselves to do it. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. You, I, I'm telling you, you'd be so surprised how many translations change the words and they won't let the words speak for themselves. And it's unfortunate. It really is. You righteousness? I, don't, I don't know of any. I don't know. But you can look up, you can go to Bible Hub, and you can look up the Hebrew. It's the same word that's translated righteous, describing Job and Noah. So that changes things, doesn't it? Now, he's dwelling in tents so far in the book of Genesis. Who are the good guys that dwell in tents? And who are the bad guys that go east to live in cities? You see, the the dwelling in tents means he's a dominion man. He believes in the promises of the, of the covenant, and he believes that the promised land is the place, even though there's no big cities there, and he lives in the promised land in tents, just like Abraham did. So Jacob is faithful, just like Abraham. Right? He's not like Lot, who's going to go off to the city and, and try to have his cake and eat it too right now. He's willing to wait and to be patient and to live in a tent and to sacrifice for the, for the future, because he believes in the promises for the future. He's willing to die to himself. He's willing to sacrifice today so that tomorrow he can inherit. He loses his life in order to keep it. Whereas Esau, as you're going to see, keeps his life right now, and he loses everything. That's a very important lesson to learn. Isaac loved Esau. Isaac, oh boy. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. His his God is becoming his belly. Now, Isaac, he's a Christian. He's in going to heaven. But you can see he loves Esau because Esau brings him, brings, him, food, brings him food, brings home the bacon. Now, but what did God say? God said the younger should receive the favor. The younger should receive the inheritance. Isaac's not listening to that. Instead, he's listening to his appetites. And that bad trait is passed down to Esau. But Rebekah, she believes in the gospel. She loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, <clears throat> Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Could also be translated hungry. Okay? And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted, starving. literally, I think, I I would have to look into this a little bit more, but literally it says, let me eat some of that red, red. That red stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Well, some, you know, who knows, but some commentators say that this might be a blood stew. Or Esau thinks it's a blood stew. And Esau is a man of power and he wants to drink that blood. I'm exhausted. I need some energy. And of course, you know that's a violation. Um, a, it's a violation since uh, uh, Genesis. I can't remember the exact date when it was given, but drinking blood's a no no. Um, so maybe, maybe that's it, or maybe it's just tomato based. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, red beans and rice. So, therefore, his name was called Edom. That's why Esau becomes the father of the Edomites. They're like the Redites, because he wanted that red red. Um, <laughs> and Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Now, this, I, think this is, I think this is where people are like, he's taking advantage of his starvation. No, I don't think so. I think they're reading into it, okay? Jacob wants, okay, look, you want some of this, you're hungry. Jacob's like, okay, I'm about to get this inheritance for a bargain. This joker, he doesn't even care about it. He doesn't even care about it. He's willing to give it away just like that. So, right now, sell me your birthright, okay? Esau said, I'm about to die. I'm dying, I'm so hungry I could die. Of what use is the birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. Swear means sign. Oath, vow. Let's make it official. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. I guarantee you they got that on that's on a little clay tablet or something. It's an oath, it's a vow. Jacob took a picture of the receipt. Okay? (laughs) Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate, and and look, look how he's so dying. I'm dying, I'm dying. He eats one bowl. Look. And the Hebrew is real short here, according to the commentators. He says, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. He's not exact on his deathbed. Okay? Thanks. Good. Thus, Esau. He and here is where the, the commentator who wrote the Bible gives us the actual person that we should look down on. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. It doesn't say thus Jacob was a sneaky pants. It says thus Esau despised his birthright. So, Esau didn't care about his inheritance. He pretty much sold a cheeseburger for a million dollars. So, we got We have a few minutes. That's right. But we have a few minutes to apply this, and we could apply this forever. I think this is. I think this is. You either have a life philosophy mm-hmm. of Jacob, or you have a life philosophy of Esau. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Esau doesn't care about the gospel doesn't care about the promises. He doesn't care about the plot of land. He doesn't care about extending the reign of the Messiah, dominion. He doesn't care about God's commandments. Um, the book of Hebrews says that Esau was bitter. okay, um, Angry. Um, and that root of bitterness in the book of Hebrews, he's telling you, don't you let bitterness drive you away from the covenant community. Anger can cause you And bitterness can cause you to be like, I'm done with this inheritance. I'm not going to be with those covenant people anymore. I'm going to move out into the world and forsake that inheritance. And every Christian who is in church and they have their covenant community who also has an alternate community, right? You know, those people, you know, I'm talking about, they have like, they have some, some sodomites on the side, not literally. Well, sometimes literally. Um, I know quite, I actually can think of some names right now, but I mean just some people of the world. But then they have their church friends, and then they have their, tr- their world community. And, and, and they get opinions from their world community, and they sometimes get opinions from their church community. And they're just kind of teetering on the fence. They're not sure where they're going to go. A lot of young people are like that. I never once seen someone apostatize that it wasn't like that. They had the alternate community. Every single person I've ever seen apostatize. They had a little group of non-Christian friends. They're always ragging on Christchurch. Always ragging on Christianity, ragging on the Bible, ragging on biblical beliefs, and, and giving them counter-advice to their married people from that group. And they're gone, apostatized immediately. <clears throat> um, they get bitter, they get angry, and shoop, right to their other community. You know, if I get bitter and angry at y'all... I got nowhere to go. I literally have no I have no other friends. I don't I have no other meaning in life. Like I I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. I have to go be a janitor in Moscow or something. I don't know. So <laughs> Yeah. Too cold. Too cold from these Cajuns down here. So but I mean Should we have relationships with people in the world? Of course we should have relationships the way people who are taking dominion have relationships. Not the way people who are being exiled from the promised land have relationships. You see what I'm saying? We should seek them, not savor them. And you know the difference. You know the difference. We certainly should not take counsel from them. Of course not. Even if they are a college professor. Even if they are accredited. Whatever. Right? Right? Um so Esau he doesn't care about his covenant he doesn't care about the covenant community he doesn't care about the promised land he doesn't care about the messiah he doesn't care about salvation he doesn't care about anything anything like that he doesn't even see the value of it he's like a it's like a dog with a million bucks right doesn't get it can't see it can't appreciate it right um <clears throat> I, I kind of feel like, and this might be too harsh, but I kind of feel like he's like a lot of evangelicals that have just given the whole earth over to the pagans. They're just like, they don't care about their inheritance. They're like, we're just going to be raptured out of here. Who cares? It's a, it's a disposable earth. They think of the earth as disposable, like a, like a disposable thing. <laughs> What's something that's disposable? Like a toothbrush. Yeah good for a while, I'm done with this. It's disposable. That's right. It's a consumable. That might be a better way to say it. It's a consumable. To be devoured, to be eaten up when you're hungry, but there's really no hope in it. There's really no promises for it. There's really no reason to wait and to build and to fight and to be patient and to sacrifice and to hope because it's all disposable. It's just a consumable. They live for the now, they don't live for the future. They don't build for the future that they are not going to even be in. I really think the American church, by and large, has sold their birthright to the pagans. We don't want it. And the pagans are like, we'll take it. We'll run for city council. We'll, we'll run the city around here. We'll do all of that. And the church just becomes like uh, the foreigners who, who tend the gas stations. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like uh, you can go to like a gas station out in the country and it's just some Indian guy. He doesn't even bother to learn English. He doesn't know anyone. There, a fight could break out in the parking lot. It's not, his bar, it's not his problem. He keeps his head down, and he just makes money off the suckers. That's right. He's a middleman merchant. And more power to him. That's, that's their thing. But, but he's like, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I'm going to work this gas station. I'm going to sell these people their liquor and their cigarettes. I'm going to make all the money, and then I'm going to move on to another gas station. Right? I'm going to take my money, and I'm going to send it back home to my real home. I really feel like the evangelical church is like that. Do you all see the analogy? It's really harsh. It's, you know, too bad I have to, to compare him to the Indian guy at the gas station, but it's not fair to the Indian guy, honestly. But he's in there. He's just saying, I'm a stranger in a strange land. This earth, this world, this, this Acadiana is not my home. I'm just passing through. To the sweet by and by. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so because we have no hope, we have, don't believe in the promises, and we don't believe the promises are for us and for our children, we don't invest. This is the problem we have with the, the, the politics. We Christians don't believe that it's even worth the hassle. Right? Ironically, Christians who live like this... Um, they spend their money on the things here and now. They, they're not willing to live in a tent so that their children can have money to advance the kingdom further into the future. Because they don't believe there's any hope for the future. We're all gonna, it's all going to burn and we're all going to be raptured up out of here anyway. Or there's no hope until Jesus returns anyway. So let's just tend the gas station. Right, make our money. Mind our own business. And that's that. You see what the problem is. I, I really do believe that that premillennial worldview, um, or that dispensational worldview, more precisely, is uh, is what's going on here. He's selling his birthright. Um, why build a school? Right? There's no hope for your children, no hope for the future, because it takes a lot of sacrifice to build a school. It would be way easier just to send them to a school with all the programs already established. The only problem with that is what? <laughs> all the other kids in class are a bunch of fornicators right? their parents aren't Christians the curriculum is godless but they get to play sports I really think that's what's happening I think that true Christians should be willing to sacrifice the present for the future because they have hope for the future that's what's very important true Christians should pay the hard price of tending little kids and making babies and doing the hard work because they're for the kingdom and they know in the future these kids are going to change the world they're going to make a difference and 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 of course you got to put that in your kid's brain as well right um how does one despise their inheritance today well they live for their belly their appetites they live for the now they cash in all they got now Instead of investing in the future, investing in, in, the, in the kingdom, and in the end, if you keep your life, what happens? You lose it. If you lose your life, you keep it, All right? Um, so we should be like Jacob, not like Esau, amen? Um, Esau also was a fornicator, the book of Hebrews says, which goes hand in hand with wanting my cake and wanting to eat it too, wanting life right now. Don't want a covenant, don't want to invest in marriage, make babies, I just want to fornicate. That's what Esau was like. Um, and, uh, and then one last thing, as I told you later, um, Isaac's going to get it all wrong again. He's blind, literally and theologically. He tries to bless Esau, Rebecca, tricks the, the, tricks the serpent and makes sure that the true seed gets the promise, gets the blessing. Um, and that's always what's going to happen. Um, one last question. I know we're, running, we're out of time. I can't. I don't know the answer to this, but think about it. Maybe we can answer. Figure this out. How can we get our inheritance at a bargain? I like. That. I want to. I want to get my inheritance at a bargain. Where is the world selling the good stuff for cheap? You know what I mean? They don't care about it. So I want to get it for some red stew. So I don't know how. I I don't know how to connect those dots. But there's something there. There's something there. All right. Y'all have a good evening.